Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Owls 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fielder, site publisher for Owls247.com. And today, it's almost game day. I, I'm i really excited now. Uh, you know, early in the week, Monday and Tuesday, that the, the excitement's there because it's game week. It's, it's, you know, that much closer to the start of the season. Then Wednesday and, and even Thursday, you sort of get tired, uh, you know, because you've been waiting for so long for the start of the season and it feels like it'll just never come at that point. But then that Friday, that Saturday, there is so much excitement around game day. Uh, you know, just one day away for FAU. They'll play tomorrow, week zero. Uh, they, they they start off with the game in conference against Charlotte. And that's going to be really the main focus of this episode because I feel like we need to break down Charlotte. Uh, things that stood out to me from last year about that team. Things that I have question marks about regarding FAU and particularly how they'll play Charlotte. Uh, and, and things, I think, where FAU can really win and, and places where I feel like FAU can really exploit Charlotte. Uh, overall, we'll also be taking some questions from uh, fans on Twitter. Uh, I, I asked on Twitter if anyone had f- questions about the Charlotte game or particularly about FAU's roster. Uh, we got about five or six questions that we can go through. And I'm also going to break down some of the problems from last year that I think we need to be keeping an eye on. If we're FAU, uh, I've got about two things that really stood out to me from last year that I think will make or break FAU season, much like it did last year. Uh, You know, these two problems in particular really did make or break FAU's season at times. Uh, Without further ado, though, I I just want to get started with this episode. I don't want to keep introducing it for too long, uh, but, you know, just really excited for the start of the season and particularly this game against Charlotte. Let's get started with those fan mailbag questions, I guess is what we'll call this. Uh, I got about five or six questions from from people from my Twitter account. You can follow my Twitter at the Kevin Fielder. Uh, also follow the site on Twitter at Owls247. We'll be posting, uh, you know, opportunities for more questions throughout the year. Uh, you know, especially in the later part of the season regarding games, regarding the roster, just just things like that. I want to start off with Jensen Jennings, who asks, do you think there will be an, a running back who separates themselves from the pack and becomes a number one? And if so, who? You know, I've spent so much time trying to figure out this running back room because Brent Deerman at Middle Tennessee really used three or four running backs throughout the year, and there were three or four running backs that he felt comfortable with. And I think it's a very similar situation at Florida Atlantic. You know, if you look at that depth chart uh, and that roster, you have Larry McCammon, who has had success at FAU, but has just been able not been able to put it together consistently. You have Johnny Ford, who was arguably FAU's most dynamic playmaker last year. And, you know, if he stays healthy and he stays, uh, you know, involved, there is going to be no saying that he shouldn't be getting the ball. But I just don't think he's built and had his really short size to consistently get 20, 25 touches. I, I just don't think that's who he needs to be, and I think that's something FAU realizes with the fact that he's listed second on the two-deep depth chart behind Larry McCammon, uh, and then behind them. I think there are really three guys who stand out. You have redshirt freshman Zuberi Mobley. I, I don't know how much uh, Zuberi Mobley will get in terms of touches because there are two guys in front of him who are a little bit more experienced, who have a little bit more experience playing college football. That's Nebraska transfer Marvin Scott III, who FAU really uh, pursued in the offseason. I think he's going to add a a nice flair to the room. And I think he's sort of an odd combo between Larry McCammon and and Johnny Ford. And then you also have Kelvin Dean, who, you know, has not consistently gotten playing time during his time at FAU. And he's been here for a few years. But every year, he sort of has that one big moment. Last year, I think it was a touchdown or two early in the season. Uh, You know, I think you will see all four of those guys play. The question overall was, do you think there will be a running back who separates themselves? Personally, I don't. 
uh, I think you'll see three or four running backs throughout the year play. Um, I, I think that early in the season, you'll definitely see three play. Marvin Scott, Johnny Ford, and Larry McCammon. I think you'll see some Kelvin Dean touches as well. Later in the season, though, will they maybe try to shorten that rotation a little bit and, and go two or three deep? Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on, but overall, FAU really wants to be deep. That, that's something that they've really talked about throughout the years, that they want to be deep. And I think, you know, the running back room will be the perfect example of going three or four deep at the position. Next up, we have a question from JP Acosta who asks, which FAU opponent has the best stadium? Uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased because I just truly love the Sun Bowl uh, going back to playing in like NCAA 14 when I would play as UTSA and try to win a, na- win a national championship. And I just love the Sun Bowl. You know, the that atmosphere is can be really cool. You know, it's a a stadium that the UTSA players, uh, from talking to them during media day, really enjoy that stadium and for good reason. Uh, that's definitely going to be at the top of my list, but I also think the new UAB stadium, which they used for, I believe, the USFL, uh, one of those other football leagues, uh, you know, during the spring, is a really cool stadium, and I think it's one that I would definitely love to go see in person. Uh, I, I think that's a stadium that's going to be really cool to see in person. Next up, from Scott J., which newcomer do you think will have the biggest impact on offense and defense that's a very interesting question because i think that particularly the offensive side of the ball there's really only one newcomer who stands out to me in that sense because that room returns so much Uh, you know that offense returns so much in terms of the starting quarterback the starting running backs and the starting wide receivers i think the one newcomer that will just make such a big impact for fau is is rutgers transfer offensive tackle left tackle in particular brendan bordner Uh, not only does he have arguably some of the best hair on team with this uh flowing mullet that is honestly i'm a little bit jealous of for being brutally honest but i think that what he brings is just a very stable part to that offensive line he got a lot of playing time last year at, at rutgers and he had some power five inches but chose fau in the end i think he's just going to provide a very solid veteran leader on that that front line and when you look at that front line uh you know him and nick weber there's almost ten thousand combined snaps across that offensive line they're going to become a really important part to how fau is going to play and i think that when you look at that room it's going to start with that left tackle it's going to start with the center if those two guys are playing up to the level that they should be playing at this room can be very good uh and and it'll just be interesting to see how they gel throughout the year Uh, i think chemistry is going to play a major role for them uh, but having 10,000 snaps between them, having a good coach and offensive line coach Ed Warner is going to really help them. Next up, we have a question from at FAU season. That's at FAU SZN, not season spelled out. But we'd love to hear some in-depth analysis on the trenches. I feel like offensive line slash defensive line might be the best on our team. I think the offensive line, as, as I mentioned previously, 10,000 snaps between them. This offensive line can be very good throughout the year. Uh, you know, when you look at that starting group, and I, I really want to focus on the starting five because they're going to be your main offensive linemen. Um, Brendan Borner is a grad transfer who's got one year of eligibility. Dorian Hinton is a very interesting player, and I think he's going to be one that FAU fans need to keep an eye on at left guard. Uh, he earned the starting job out of camp. He transferred really late in the process, right before the start of fall camp. But he's a guy who has experience in the Brett Dearman offense. He played last year for Brett Dearman and was a starting offensive guard for them. That sort of experience will really help early on the year when the other guys are sort of trying to get used to in-game reps, uh, you know, at with this offense. We could talk all we want about having scrimmages and, and practicing it throughout camp, but installing a playbook is very different from, I think, getting real reps in an offense. Uh, but I think that he will play a really major role early on the year 
At center, you have Nick Weber. Nick Weber's been here for a while. I, I don't think we need to talk too much about him. He's a leader. He's a guy who FAU will rely on a lot at center. Uh, at right guard and right tackle, this is, I think, really the biggest question mark for FAU. Uh, last season, Kamar Bell and Chaz Neal both got the starting reps early on in the year. Chaz Neal was eventually replaced by now sophomore Alex Atkovich. I think that these two will have to play up to par. Uh, you know, last season, they struggled at points. I think they had some really high moments, but at times they were also just inconsistent. Uh, I guess sort of a, a example of the entire offense. But the, these two really have to play at a high level for this offense to be firing on all cylinders. Uh, you can't have one side of your offensive line be really good and the other side not be really good. They The offensive line really works as a unit of five, and it doesn't work as a unit of two or three. Uh, you know, uh, if, if anyone here listening is a Dolphins fan, I think they saw that last year. Uh, you know, when you have two guys struggling on your offensive line or three guys struggling on your offensive line, it doesn't matter if you have two guys who are good because the rest of that room is not going to be able to do it up to par. The offensive line will always work at a unit as a unit. It is not an individual game on the, along that offensive line. There are five guys who have to work together. Uh, if if the right side can get figured out and the left side, I think, can just play up to the level that they're maybe expecting to play at, that, that offensive line can be really talented. Defensively, it was really interesting to see the two deep because... Uh, you know, in that on that defensive line, we're going to really focus on the end, the nose, and the defensive end in the two deep. There's just so many oars across the board, and it was really interesting to see that. Uh, at the end, it's Jalen Joyner or Xavier Peters or Chris Jones. Uh, look, personally, I think it's going to be Jalen Joyner. I think he's a main staple in your defense. He's a guy who will generate some of the most pressures throughout the year, and it was only about two or, or three years ago at this point now. I, I don't particularly remember. The years sort of get mixed up with that odd COVID year in there, but... Uh, you know, it might have been three years ago now that Jalen Joyner and Late McCarthy drew this really big defensive line unit that just generated pressure throughout the year. If Jalen Joyner can get back to that level, he can be among the best pass rushers, not only for FAU, but in the conference. And it's going to be really important for FAU because last season, again, they just didn't generate the pressure that they needed to uh, generate uh, at nose guard or nose tackle. Uh, defensive tackle Evan Anderson, 330 pounds now. He was playing at times up to 380 pounds. I think he's going to be a guy who is really interesting to watch. And I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be playing a major role for FAU, particularly in manning two-gap situations. Uh, and when I mean two-gaps, I mean guarding two-gaps. Uh, particularly uh, when you play a three-down lineman, your run fits really rely on the nose tackle to occupy space. You don't just need a space here, though. You need a guy who can generate interior pressure, uh, you know, force the quarterback out wide into these defensive ends and these these B-backers and the, F, and the F-backer. Uh, and I think that Evan Anderson is going to play a major role in doing so. Then next to him, you have Latrell Jean or Decarius Hawthorne or Jaden Wheeler. Uh, Jaden Wheeler was a uh, freshman last year, a true freshman, who got a lot of playing time along that offensive line, or defensive line, rather. Uh, he is listed third on this list, I guess, according to alphabetical order. I'm going to focus really on the top two, though. Uh, Latrell Jean and Decarius Hawthorne. Latrell Jean has impressed throughout camp, and he earned a single digit, which Willie Taggart awards the single digits to the guys who perform the, uh, you know, the best during camp. And I think that Latrell Jean is going to start along that offensive line. I think he's going to be very important you know if this is the new Latrell gene uh you know this is going to be really important for FAU because last season they did not have the defensive line depth that they really have now uh you know you look at this room Xavier Peters Chris Jones Keem Green uh transfer from South Carolina is listed as the backup nose tackle 
And then you look at this defensive end room. Latrell Jean, Decarius Hawthorne, Jane Wheeler, these are all guys who have playing experience. You know, these are all guys who got playing time last season. That's really important to building depth. And that's something that if you just did not have at this position, something that we talked about on this podcast uh, last season, but they just didn't have the bodies to play that defensive line and they struggled throughout the year. And it was really clear in some games where they struggled against the run, they struggled against the pass. I, I think it's going to be something to really keep an eye on this year is if they can get that depth at the defensive line position. And I, I want to go back quickly to Scott's question because I think I accidentally forgot the defensive uh, newcomer who I think will impress. And it's going to be uh, B-backer Morvin Joseph. He's a guy who has a lot of pass rushing potential for FAU. And he's a guy who's really talented. Uh, 6'3", 222 pounds, comes from Tennessee, transferred during the offseason. He's a guy who I think will play a major role. Uh, you know, whether it's at the B-backer or, or if they use him in different positions, it's going to be interesting to see how this defense works. Uh, but I think he's going to make a major impact for FAU throughout the season. I want to go to one final question. It was a question that was asked in the group chat. Uh, you know, an analyst or an analysis, rather, of the, the H-back position or the tight end position. And it's something that I wrote about when I wrote about Brett Dearman's offense, which you can see on owls247.com. This is an offense that the tight end doesn't always get receiving work, but what they do is they just block. You know, that's really the main thing is they have to be able to be really good blockers because, uh, you know, they're they're used in times to create an extra body in the run game. Uh, and on the two deep, it was listed as Carter Boatwright, the transfer from Florida State, and Marvin Landy, a, a transfer from Tarleton State. Uh, it was really interesting to see Marvin Landy in that group, and it was someone who Willie Taggart talked about during his Thursday presser. Uh, of someone who impressed during camp. Carter Boatwright is a very good blocker, 6'4", 240 pounds. This is a room that's going to have to figure itself out. Uh, I, I, do I think it's there yet? Uh, no. Uh, just to, to be brutally honest, I don't think this room is where it needs to be. But that doesn't mean that near the end of the year that they can get to that point. Uh, you know, this is a very long season. This is a 12, potentially 13, 14 game season, depending on if you make a conference championship or a bowl game. Positions will figure themselves out throughout the year, and I think this is going to be one of those positions that figure themselves out. Uh, you know, look for Austin Evans, the former walk-on who earned a scholarship late in camp. Uh, look at Wyatt Sullivan. Those are guys who can potentially get a, line, a lot of playing time throughout the year. Wyatt Sullivan was a guy who uh, offensive coordinator Brett Dearman and head coach Willie Taggart talked a lot about uh, during camp, and he's a guy who I think will get opportunities to impress throughout the year. I even predicted, uh, you know, just tongue-in-cheek at a point where I think that he will get playing time throughout the year. I don't think he's going to be a redshirt freshman who gets only four games. There may very well be a time where he gets five or six games. Uh, something to keep an eye on in that is that room, uh, is particularly because across the offense, you really have a lot of positions figured out. As we talked about, you have the quarterback really figured out. You have the running backs you have guys who you think will contribute, definitely. The wide receiver room, obviously, was a shock to see LeJonte Wester listed as a backup slot behind Tony Johnson. Don't look too much into that. LeJonte Wester is going to be among their biggest playmakers. Jaquan Burton has been named to two different NFL Draft Showcase watch lists, the Shrine Bowl and the Reese's Senior Bowl. He's going to be a guy who I think will make a major impact for FAU this year. And then the X, you have Jamal Ladrine, the Fort Lauderdale Project. Now a redshirt freshman was injured for a lot of last season, but he provides a really big body for FAU. You have a lot of positions figured out, but you do not have the tight end room figured out yet. If that position can get figured out throughout the year, this can be a very good offense, particularly with the pass catchers and the skill positions, that they can be unstoppable at times. Uh, you know, you look at the Western Kentucky offense last year, they were deep at so many positions 
Why were they so good? It was not just Bailey Zappi, who obviously had a terrific year and, and broke the NCAA record for passing touchdowns, but they were also able to get skill position players in the right position. You know, you look at Mitchell Tinsley, who's now at Penn State, transferred during the offseason. You look at Jareth Stearns, who I believe is with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during camp, or the Atlanta Falcons, one of those teams. I, I don't remember which one. I believe it's the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though. These two guys are guys who are going to be NFL talents. Uh, you know, the tight end room last season lost their starting tight end, uh, Josh Simon, but they had Tony Belgian, uh, who, or Joey Belgian, rather, excuse me, who was a very talented player. Uh, if FAU can figure out that tight end room, this can be an offense that is hard to stop at times because defense will have to account for all three positions. Uh, with that being said, I want to also break down some things that stood out to me from last season, particularly two aspects of the game that I think FAU will need to improve on during the season if they want to improve on their 5-7 and seven record. Uh, you know, obviously there were a lot of things that FAU struggled with last year. I, I'm not breaking news here by saying that, I hope, but there are two positions, or two spots in particular where I think FAU really struggled. It starts with drops. There were a lot of drop passes last year, a lot of drop passes in very critical situations. Uh, every offensive coordinator, every offensive coach, every offensive quarterback and, and playmaker will tell you, you cannot drop the ball, you cannot afford dropping the ball, in situations where you have big-time plays on the board. If you miss out on big-time plays, you will miss out on winning the game. It's that simple. Last season, according to Pro Football Focus data, FAU had 26 total drops, and it was particularly LeJonte Western and Jaquan Burton who finished with 12 total drops themselves. Do I think that that's something to be concerned about this year? I'm going to wait and see. Uh, you know, it's obvious to say, well, last season was not where it needed to be in terms of drops, and it may carry over this year. That's very true, but FAU has a new wide receivers coach in Billy Gonzalez who comes over from the University of Florida. They have a new offense coordinator. There are going to be opportunities for these guys to improve, and I think that they're going to improve. I have not seen many drops throughout camp, and obviously we don't see a lot of practice as, as media members. We see only individual drills, and if you're catching on individual drills where there's no defensive back around you, there's going to be more cause to concern, but I haven't seen a lot of drops, and I think that this room realizes that, and it's something that they've talked about with us during media availability, that they need to clean up on the drops. Uh, and then the other thing is pressure. I just don't think FAU generated enough pressure last year. Uh, they had a low win rate at the top, uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, and win rate is really how many blocks or how many times a defensive end or an edge rusher or a player on defense wins their block in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Jalen Joyner only an 8.5%, Evan Anderson only 7.8%. Those are not particularly high numbers. And FAU needs to be able to generate sacks. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at last season's top stat getters at the stat, uh, at, at the um, defensive position, it was Jalen Joyner who had about four sacks last year. That's unacceptable. You cannot have your top edge rusher getting four sacks. You are not going to win many football games doing so. Uh, this year, I think that this will change when you look at who they added in. Guys like Morva Joseph, Xavier Peters, Courtney McBride returning from an injury. Uh, you you have Chris Jones. You have a lot of guys who can generate pressure. And Todd Orlando's defense is going to be one that relies on generating pressure from the outside. It's going to be something that I preview in a future article coming, I think, early next week. Uh, looking at Todd Orlando's defense, a deeper dive into what works about the defense, what doesn't work about the defense. But... I think that when you look at this group and you look at those positions, I think that if you, they can improve on the drops and they can improve on the pressure, they can be a team that is not 7-5 and five or 6-6 or six and six looking at a bowl game. This is a team that can compete for a conference championship game. I don't want to put lofty expectations on FAU and, and 
you know, say that they're going to make the conference championship game or anything, but they certainly have the talent to do so. They just have to clean up on certain things, and that's something that Willie Taggart has mentioned. It's something that players have mentioned. It's something that coordinators have mentioned. That if they can clean up on those things, this is a room that can be top to bottom, a very talented room for FAU. Uh, with that being said, I want to switch over to previewing the Charlotte game next because obviously that's the first game of the season, and there are some things that stood out to me from last year that I think FAU will need to exploit, and I think FAU will need to look at if they're going to win this game. And I think uh, I want to focus on one position in particular next where I think that FAU will need to see good play from during that Charlotte game. I don't want to start singing because I'm I'm not a good singer, first of all, and none of you guys deserve to hear that uh, because I'm sure that if I start singing, everyone's going to click off and never listen again. But we're so close to game day. We are so close, and I'm, I'm super giddy about it. It's like the first day of school almost. Willie Taggart compared it to Christmas in August, and I don't want to say that because if it was Christmas... It would be a lot colder outside than it is. It's like 9,000 degrees outside. But uh, I'm looking at FAU's schedule on the FAU website, and they have a countdown clock. And currently at the time of recording this, we're at one day, 18 hours, 37 minutes, and 37 seconds from kickoff. And that second timer just keeps ticking down, and I'm just watching it every time I look over, and it just gets me more and more excited. Uh, First of all, because this is a big game for FAU. This is a game that can really define their season. As, as I mentioned early on, I don't like calling early games must-wins because there's a bit long season. It's a 12-13, potentially 14-game season, uh, 12 regular season games, which is what we're going to focus on, but there are 12 regular season games, and everything can happen in a season. It's a very long season. Things can go up for you. You can have ups. You can have downs. But, man, winning a conference game in Week 1 is is going to be critical for FAU, not because, you know, if they if they lose this game, the season's over, but you want to start off in conference as good as you can because the conference games are what will define your season. If you go undefeated in the conference, you make the conference championship game. If you go undefeated in non-conference games, that doesn't help you towards making the conference championship game. It'll improve your standing. Uh, you know, if FAU goes 12-0 and this season, they're likely a ranked team. That's a very far extreme, but... FAU have a chance to start the season off really well, and that could define the rest of their season. That could give them so much momentum going into the rest of these conference games. Uh, FAU start their season, of course, uh, against Charlotte, 7 o'clock. Game will be on CBS Sports Network. It's also a home game, so I'd say, more importantly, go pack out the stands. Let's go you know, have some fun on Saturday and hopefully see FAU win the game. But when we look at this game, this is something that I've spent a lot of time trying to look at. And last season... It's important to note that FAU won at 38-9, but it was not a pretty game in a lot of sense because they started the game off down 9-7 at halftime, and they were able to score 21 unanswered points to take the 38-9 victory in the second half. That's not going to happen all the time. You're not going to score 38 points unanswered in the second half, but this is a team that can find ways to win. They've shown that in the past, but there's also a team that can... Uh, you know, FAU last season was not able to consistently put together performances. This is their first chance to put last season behind them. 5-7 and seven last season, not a good record. Losing your four, last four games, not a good sight. That last game will leave a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. But as, as we mentioned, this is their last or this is their first chance to put that season behind them. And it's going to start with this game against Charlotte. So I want to talk about Charlotte. And I want to particularly focus on one position group which is their wide receiver room. 
This is a very talented wide receiver room. It's one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country. Uh, you know, there's so much talent. Uh, is it the best wide receiver in the room in the country? No. Is it one of the best in, like, group of five? Absolutely. Is it going to be a top room at the end of the season in the nation? I honestly believe so. There's a lot of talent in this room. It starts at the top with uh, six foot three wide receiver Grant DuBose, who last season had 62 receptions for 892 yards and six touchdowns. Grant DuBose is a legit, and I mean legit, NFL talent. This guy is going to get drafted, likely a day three pick, but I think he could find himself like late day two if everything goes his way. But it's going to be a guy who's going to be on an NFL roster in a year. You know, this is a guy who is going to have so many, so much expectation this year. And last season, he was a guy who at times killed FAU. Let's let's be honest. At times, last game, he was a problem for FAU. He finished the game with five receptions, 70 yards, and a touchdown. The only guy above him was his teammate from last year and a teammate again this year in Vic or Victor Tucker, who finished the game. Last season, FAU uh, against Charlotte, 105 yards on six receptions, a long of 30 yards. Last season, he finished the season, 51 receptions, 639 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I'm going to mention the height because, again, it's going to be important for what I'm going to say later. He's six foot tall. Then uh, Their third wide receiver is Elijah Spencer, finished last season with 381 yards and six touchdowns. I believe he's a true sophomore. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that, but he is... A very talented player, and he's a guy who is going to be someone that FAU has to keep an eye on. Last season, he didn't play well in the game against FAU. He only had one reception for five yards. But this is a very talented wide receiver room for F Charlotte, and it's one that has compared themselves. And I'm laughing because it's every time I think about this, it's kind of funny. But Hunter Bailey, who is a Charlotte beat writer for the Charlotte Observer, wrote an article where the Charlotte wide receivers called themselves the big three. And it's it's particularly funny because, of course, if you're a basketball fan in Florida or in the state of Florida, everyone knows about the Miami Heat. Everyone knows about that big three for the Miami Heat because it was a very glorious time, frankly, if we're being honest for the Miami Heat. Uh, the, the big three of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, the Charlotte wide receivers compared themselves to the big three, and that's something that I think is going to give the FAU secondary some some extra motivation. Uh, you know, there were some reports that it's listed, and I can't confirm this. Uh, let's be clear, but there were some reports that the the newspaper uh, article, the the article that Hunter Bailey wrote, was in the locker room at FAU, and the the defensive backs were aware of it, even if they're not. This FAU group, the secondary, is going to be super motivated. Uh, you know, they're not as experienced as they were last year. They lose, of course, Zion Gilbert, who played so many games for FAU, so many snaps for FAU. But this is a group that's going to be hungry, that's going to be motivated, that's going to become a major benefactor of, I think, this defensive shift with Todd Orlando. Uh, and in this game, I think you're going to see them have to play a good game. Remember I mentioned the heights and how all of them are above six foot? Well, on this other side, the FAU defensive back room is below six foot. Uh, Smoke Mungin, who's their, their leader, their, the number one cornerback who has the most experience at FAU in specific, he's listed at five foot nine. He's probably close to like five foot eight. He's really aggressive. You know, he's not the typical five foot nine who's not aggressive enough to make plays 
at the line of scrimmage or, or make plays when the ball's thrown at a guy, but he's short. Jaden Williams is like five foot ten. Damon Hill isn't tall either, the, the Central Michigan transfer. Those are going to be three guys who get a lot of playing time for FAU at the cornerback position. Their tallest cornerback, uh, you know, at least at the six deep. You know, if we go below that, I'm sure there are other guys who are taller. But in the six deep, the tallest cornerback is Michael Anton, who's listed at six foot. Uh, and again, the listed heights on rosters can be a little misleading. Guys can be a little bit shorter than that. Sometimes guys can be taller than that. Those numbers are not gospel. You know, if you follow the NFL draft at all, obviously when they go to like the senior bowl or the, the NFL combine, those numbers can change and guys can go up or down height. But this is a very short cornerback room for FAU. And it's going to be an interesting matchup to watch the height between Charlotte's wide receivers and the the lack thereof in the FAU defensive back room. One thing I will say about this matchup is I think the way that FAU will try and attack this matchup early on, because I think it's one that they have to take advantage of if they want to win this game, is I think you're going to see a lot more two safety, uh, two high safety sets, rather. Not just two safety sets, but two high safety sets. Uh, when you play with two high safeties, you're going to most times play cover two, cover four, or cover two man. That can obviously change, and you know you can shift that into like a cover three look or a a cover one look. But most of the time, when you play two high safeties, that is normally an indicator that you're going to play some sort of two high safety uh, look. Uh, you know, two high safety coverage. Usually, cover two man, cover two, cover four. But I think what you're going to see is a lot more of the, the cover two man for FAU because Todd Orlando likes to play man defense. He likes to get his cornerbacks aggressive and let them make plays. But you don't, I don't want to leave, if I was Todd Orlando, I'm obviously not Todd Orlando, but if I was Todd Orlando, I would not want to leave these guys on islands to start the game. I would want to find ways to sort of supplement them. And the best way to supplement them is having another safety high because they can help cover things up. If a cornerback gets beat, the safety can help cover that up and, and cover him, uh, you know, on, on either side. And when you play cover one man, you have one safety high who can do that, but you also have two corners. You have you have three corners sometimes, and if two guys get beat, how are you going to match that? Uh, you know, obviously, I think you're going to see them take a linebacker off the field more often. You're not going to see the three four base that was left on the uh, listed on the FAU two deep depth chart. You're going to see more, I think, of a a three three five look, which would be three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs, maybe even some six defensive back sets. But we're going to focus more on the three three five, which means that the FAU secondary will have to play well. Uh, the other point that I want to keep track on, and this is the matchup that I'm really keeping track on, is FAU's offensive tackles, the right tackle, Chaz Neal, the left tackle, Brendan Bordner, against Charlotte's defensive line. This was something that, uh, you know, the defensive ends was something that Brent Dearman mentioned during the week, during his media availability, and something that I sort of tracked on when I was looking at this team from last year. I really like Marquise Watts, which is their sort of leader on defense. He was the guy that Will Healy chose to send. Uh, you know, to conference USA Media Day uh, from uh, you know, this season, uh, every team sent an offensive player and a defensive player. Uh, Will Healy chose Marquise Watts, and I think for good reason. In 2019, when he was next to Alex Highsmith, who's down in the NFL with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, Alex Highsmith, first of all, wanted the better group of five and conference USA pass rushers, but when he was next to him, he had a really good season. Nine and a half sacks, 13 tackles for loss. He generated a bunch of pressure. He was a menace. You know, he was a menace to offensive tackles. Last season and the year before, he just didn't have those same numbers, and I think a part of it may have been the guys next to him. This season, they bring in Amir Sadiq from Central Michigan, 
who last year at Central Michigan had four and a half sacks and 11 tackles for loss. Again, another good season for him, and I think he's a good guy who could potentially give Central or give Charlotte, excuse me, a lot uh, at the defensive end position. It's something that FAU has to keep an eye on. Uh, if you get beat at left tackle or right tackle, your offense is going to be screwed. You do not want to give the quarterback more challenges. You don't want to give the quarterback more situations where they have to struggle. If FAU can block Marquise Watts and and Sadiq uh, or Amir Sadiq and find ways to contain them, they're they're obviously going to get I think plays where they they get in the backfield and they cause some some havoc because you can't leave two guys like that to zero pressures throughout an entire game. And if they do, and we're recording this podcast again on Sunday or Monday, and they did exactly that, it'll be a party on here because that's an really impressive game by Chaz Neal and and Brent Borner. And Chaz Neal had times last year where he was really good. He also had times where he was not as good, and that was sort of the entire point of the offensive line completely. We haven't seen Brendan Bordner in FAU jersey. He transferred during the offseason. If you get really good performances from them, you can win this game. You can win this game pretty easily, too, and I don't remember what the Vegas line is. Last time I checked, I believe it was around 7.5. First of all, look, this is not gambling advice. Anything I say on here, do not take as gambling advice, but this is a team that I think FAU can beat, and it's a team that I think FAU could potentially beat by two scores. If they can find a way to contain, I'm going to keep saying contain because they cannot stop. They cannot stop the wide receivers from getting chances. They did not stop them from getting chances last year. Uh, you know, they're going to have big time plays, especially with the quarterback like Chris Reynolds, who uh, going into a, another year in college football, 29 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He's he's an old man in college football, which is a, a good thing sometimes. You know, if you have an older quarterback in college football, uh, they, they've seen more, they've, they've understood more, they know more of the game than an, a younger guy. But FAU will need to find ways to contain both of those positions, uh, the the defensive ends and the wide receivers. And then I guess uh, uh, on the offensive side as well, one thing I want to mention is the Charlotte defense is sort of a big question mark because their defensive coordinator has not called plays in a long time. And it's something that I, I asked Willie Taggart and Brent Demon throughout the week. And they, they sort of just said, look, we have to adjust on the fly sometimes. You know, we'll, we'll, we prepared, we studied tendencies, we studied old film. But we also have to go in with this sense of unknown. And in the sense of an unknown like this, adjusting is going to be really important. One thing I think that you'll see outside of the four down lineman sets that that the depth chart sort of hints to, look, they're going to be multiple. Every defense is multiple. But it hints to more of a four down defensive lineman set. I think you're going to see some, some single high safety look. And what do I mean by single high safety? As opposed to the two safeties, you just have one almost center field safety who will read and react to whatever happens to the cornerbacks, usually a sign of cover three or, or cover one man. In that case, the outside cornerbacks in this game, likely going to be Elijah Quan Burton and Jamal Adreen, have got to make plays. They've got to make plays one-on-one. If you can make plays one-on-one, it hurts a defense that wants to play single high because it forces the safety to leave the other side. Uh, you know, if if the safety goes, if let let's say for example, Jaquan Burton beats his man, then the safety has to go and react and play that side. If Jamal Adrian then wins his matchup, look, it's a it's a one on one matchup for Jamal Adrian. If he still wins his matchup, then he's open. Uh, and this is something that I think you're going to see a lot of one on one routes where guys can win. And I think that FAU has the guys on the outside to win. And Jaquan Burton, who's an athletic monster, he's an athletic freak. He was named to 
Bruce Feldman of the Athletics freak list that he puts out every year. Jamal Adrian, six foot three. He's super big. He's super physical. He can make plays deep. Those two guys can have really big games. And, you know, Sunday or Monday when we record the recap episode, if those two guys had really good games, I think we're talking about a big FAU win. Uh, and that's what they need in this game. You know, I can't stress this enough. You need to win this game. Uh, you know, not, I, I don't want to call it a must win. I, I hate calling early games must wins because it's a long season. It's 12 games in the regular season. Anything can happen. You, you have your highs and your lows, but you want to win your conference games. You always want to win your first conference game. You want to get that first game under your belt. And in week zero, as Willie Taggart has mentioned in the past, games are not often won. They're sometimes lost. You know, teams lose these games based on mistakes. If FAU can hold those mistakes and focus on the cornerback room, the defensive line room, they can really win this game. Uh, and I'm really excited to see how FAU does because there's a sense of unknown for FAU. There's a sense of unknown for Charlotte. And it'll be the first time to see what FAU's offseason was all about. Was it talk? Was it showing it? You know, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Talk is, you know, every team talks. But if you could show it on the field, and FAU certainly have the talent and I think have the mentality showed on the field, that talk turns into action, and that's going to be really important to see for FAU. With that being said, thank you for listening to the Owls 24-7 podcast. We'll be back early next week, whether it be Sunday or Monday. I guess it's actually late this week, early next week, but we'll be back Sunday or Monday to recap the Charlotte game regardless of what happens. Uh, win or loss, I will, we'll either have a victory podcast or we'll have a defeat podcast. But either way, I'm really excited for this game. 7 p.m. kickoff against Charlotte at home, FAU Stadium, on TV, at CB, uh, on CBS Sports Network. Obviously, radio, the great Ken Levicka and Chris Bartels on Fox Sports, 640 a.m. Look, this is a very exciting game, and it's going to be one that we'll break down later. Of course, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Owls247 goes to owls247.com for all your FAU news. You can follow myself, Kevin Fielder, on Twitter at the Kevin Fielder. And with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. And I hope we're back. We're talking about an FAU win. Uh, go Owls.